Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. John 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, and anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? 
And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. I particularly enjoy teaching when there's technical difficulties. Uh, I mean that because usually it means uh, the Lord will speak louder to make sure those distractions don't stop you from hearing what he has to say. So tonight, we will continue our journey through the Gospel of John. We're going to cover all of chapter 9. So that's 41 verses. So don't close your Bibles. We're going to be in it for the whole time. (laughs) Um, But as we begin tonight's passage, you'll see really early in verse 5 that Jesus reiterates a statement that we've, as a community, have already covered, which is when he says, I am the light of the world. But as Jesus makes this statement again in chapter 9 here, we'll find that Jesus provides a different illustration describing what life in the light looks like. So with that being said, tonight's message is entitled, I once was blind, but now I see. See, it's pretty well documented now that the generations that are represented in this room, Gen Z and the later end of millennials, are happen to be the most informed generations in human history. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're informed about the right things. It just means they're informed. Now, these are, there are even studies that show that Gen Z is on track to become the most educated generation ever. Congratulations, I guess. But this should be of no surprise since many of us have access to a database of knowledge that is one click or swipe away on our phones, right? Like, I don't know how many of you have ever gone to a library or go to the library uh, in person, right? Like, and having to ask a librarian what books you, they think that you should use for your term paper. And then you have to find the book for yourself. And then guess what? You're probably the first person to even open up that book. So literally you're, you're cracking open the hardcover and you have to read it because you can't control F a hardcover, can you? Now, it's funny to think that the terms that we use for research today have only been true of our generations, right? Like using Google as a verb, right? Like I'm going to Google that. Like that's a linguistic phenomenon. Like none of our grandparents or parents said, I'm going to library that. Like that's just not, that's just not what they did. That's not what it was. But despite the level of access that we have and education that we have, there seems to still be an alarming sense of lostness in our generation. 
There was a study recently done by Twitter, which even though it's a social media platform, is much more about monitoring your day-to-day activities. But the the study revealed that Gen Z, and this is also true for later later millennials like me, um, it says that we have a lack of defined identity. We are more inclined to blend our identity with others instead of making any definitive claims that would cause us to be separate from the majority culture. The study would go on to say that our generation has contributed to the development of microtribes. What are microtribes? They're essentially these groups of uh, small groups of people who seek to find even just one other person that will support their worldview, even if it's the dumbest thing. And the moment that person disagrees with that person, what does that person do? So starts up another microgroup, and then they'll find other people to validate their worldview, even if it makes no sense. But it's not all negative. Uh, we're also the most passionate generation. Yes, uh, yeah, woohoo, right? Yeah, the greatest generation, sure. They went to war for our country, but we, us Gen Z and us millennials, we're gonna change the world one plastic straw at a time. I, I promise it will happen. But what is this study really showing? Like, why am I even bringing this up? It shows that as a generation, we're not very good at thinking for ourselves. That knowledge is not actually helping humanity become better. That no matter how well-intentioned we are about changing the world, we would rather find a few people who support our worldviews instead of learning how to disagree with others or just admitting that we were flat out wrong to begin with. See, we look to information to answer the questions that our hearts desire to be answered. And then we find out this alarming fact. Everybody is just as lost as we are. And so our lives feel lost and jumbled. But it's not just the world that feels this way, does it? It feels that way in the church. See, many of us feel lost as a, as a member of a church because we've gotten off the road of encountering with Jesus and instead of meeting and encountering Jesus, we turn to politics and crystals and manifesting and personality tests and social media groups fill in the blank to make sense of this world around us and, and for it to tell us how we fit in this world instead of turning to Jesus as the light of the world. And therefore, we get these Christians who claim extreme knowledge about the Bible, but all they are is arrogant punks. And on the flip side, we have Christians who say they love God, but hate their church. And then they too also show arrogance, ignorance, and self-righteousness. It goes on both ends. So how is it that we're the most informed generation, and yet we are the most lost? Or at least it can feel that way, right? Like, I don't have to continually throw stats out to you today. I don't have to show you what the research says because you're living it out. You know your levels of anxiety. You've sensed this increased sense of loneliness. You know the self-hatred that you battle with and the lack of movement in your life and the lack of contentment. I don't have to show you anything. You know it. And then we take these problems and then we present it to the world, a little bow on top, and we say, world and religion, here, can you fix this for me? And then the world does what it tries to do. It creates these self-help books and morning affirmations on your phone and podcasts and conferences that get produced trying to convince you that your life too can be changed for just $9.99 subscription fee. But the painstaking fact here is that information does not bring transformation because the transformation we long for is rooted so far deep in our hearts that no human hand can ever touch it. 
And that's why Jesus states that he is the light of the world because Jesus reveals both the darkness of this world, but he reveals the brokenness of our hearts. And you know the places that I'm talking about, the places that you and I yearn to feel whole and healed, even though we're terribly embarrassed about how those wounds even got there to begin with. But what I hope to make clear tonight is this, as we go tonight's passage, is that there is no middle of the road with Jesus. It's one or the other. There's either life and light in him or death and blindness without him. But I wonder what life could look like if we chose not to pursue a half in and half out life with Jesus. Let's turn our attention back to John chapter nine, verse one. So Jesus is here passing by and he sees a man blind from birth. We see that Jesus has left the temple after the last chapter and he's presumably walking somewhere in Jerusalem and he sees a man. And this man is blind from birth and it's important detail because throughout this whole story, the whole 41 verses, there will be images of light and darkness, pictures of sight and blindness peppered throughout his man's story. And as Jesus and his disciples see the man, they take the time to ask Jesus a spiritual question. Remember, Jesus is walking with his disciples. Jesus is their rabbi, their teacher. So naturally, if you're a disciple and you're a student, you want to ask questions because these people want to properly see and understand the world around them. And so they ask him in verse two, whose fault is it, the man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, Jesus doesn't really give a direct answer in verse three. Instead, this is what he says. It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. What Jesus emphasizes here is that the the man's blindness was under the control of God and that this blind man's life is about to be used to reveal the heart of God towards humanity. So what does Jesus do? Spits on the ground. (laughs) I don't even know. Every time I think about this, I'm like, No other way, Jesus. Literally no other way. All right, here we go. Jesus spits on the ground and he makes mud with the saliva. I'm like, fine, spit, but you got, you're like, you know, like, it's a good thing it wasn't COVID, you know? So Jesus spits on the ground, makes mud with the saliva, and then he, without permission too, like, there's nowhere you read in this passage where he's like, hey man, are you okay if I wipe some stuff on your eyes? No, Jesus just spits on the ground, makes saliva, uh, makes saliva, spits on the ground, takes it, makes mud, puts it on the guy's face without asking him. And then he tells him, hey, go to this pool and wash the mud off. And what baffles me is that the man does it. Like he does it. Verse seven, he goes to the pool and what happens? He comes back seeing. You see, this is what happens when the light of the world shines on the human heart. No, it isn't like spit on the floor or somebody wiping stuff on your eyes. No, it's something far greater. You see, the story that we're reading about is not focusing on the literal healing of blind people. Listen, Jesus does care about the broken and the the maladies of this world. He does care to heal. If you read most of the gospels, you'll see Jesus is able and willing to heal. But many of the healings he did weren't about the healing themselves. It was about pointing out spiritual realities. If this were about literal healing of blind people, then all blind people who place their faith in Jesus would have their eyesight given back to them. But We know that's not true. But the story is focused about spiritual blindness and the blindness of the heart. Look what happens in verse eight. This is what it says. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? 
It seems that the seeing man, after being healed, he goes back into town and his neighbors literally cannot believe that this man was healed. Isn't this the guy who was begging on the streets just a moment ago? I thought this guy was blind. There's gotta be somebody else. Gotta look like that guy. Can't be that guy. See, they can't make sense of the fact that something transformational has just happened in this man's life. They can see with their eyes, but their hearts are blind. Eventually, they ask him how he gained back his sight, and his answer is simple. I love it. I once was blind. Jesus touched me, and now I see. That's it. Just spitting the facts. And you would think, you would think that this would somehow amaze people, right? Like, wait, so some guy just spit on the ground, and now you got eyesight back? Like, you think that's amazing. Like, this guy who's a beggar, He's blind, and he is the low, he's on the lowest peg of the social ladder. You might, he, they might be thinking, man, if Jesus could give sight to this guy, what can he do with us? I got everything that's working for me. I'm going to be like Superman. Instead, no, they hear the name of Jesus, and they drag this newly healed man to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees start doing the same thing. They start probing the man about the events that transpired surrounding his healing. And, the, and they ask him, how did this happen? And he says the same thing. Listen, Jesus, I was blind. Jesus came and now I see. I got nothing else to tell you. And the Pharisees just don't, like, you would, like, how hard is this to understand? Some guy came, healed this guy. And the guys are like, I don't know. I don't understand what you're saying to me. Go a little bit slower. Say it again. No, no, no. I, no, no, I heard you were blind. Wait, spit on the ground? Hold up, I don't understand what's going on. I can see where the Pharisees might be a little confused, but like, they're not dumb. But then the Pharisees start arguing among each other, saying Jesus might be a demon or he actually might be legit. So they actually get rid of the, of the man and they bring in his parents and saying, listen guys, is your son blind or what? Like, I don't, like, I wanna know. And they're like, yeah, I mean, why would he lie? Like, why would he choose to lie about this? Like, that's a big lie to commit to the rest of your life. I'm blind. I got to pretend this my whole life that I'm blind. That's not something that someone just wakes up and does. But they say, listen, he's, never, he's been blind his whole life. But then he doesn't, but this is what it says in verse 22. That's all they say. But the reason they stopped talking is because this. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So they threatened them. So the man then gets brought back in for questioning, and they tell him, listen, tell us the truth. What happened? And he's like, I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. I was blind. Jesus came, and now I see. And then they finally were like, okay, 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 okay. We, okay, you were blind and now you're not. But like, how did it happen? It's like, I don't know what to, like, gee, and they, uh, what I love about this is, is, is this guy gets a little snarky. He's like, I don't know what else to tell you. Do you want me to tell you again so like you can follow him too? Because you can't, you can go ask him yourself. You don't, you don't got to talk to me about it. But they're just unwilling to admit that, that this was done in the hands of Jesus because to admit that Jesus had done this healing would mean that they were wrong. So instead of doing that, they do what any sane person would do. They get rid of him. <laughs> they kick the man out of the temple. And so his community has rejected him and his religious community has rejected him and his culture has rejected him. And all of this, was a byproduct of Jesus giving this man his sight. Like it was a Saturday. This man had everything but his sight. And now he's been given his sight. 
and he seems to have lost everything. You see, before Jesus came into the picture, the man was a beggar. Yes, he was on the lowest step in the social ladder, but at least he was on the ladder. Now he's not even allowed on the picture. Before he could say that he was allowed in the temple and as a, as a poor beggar, as someone who was blind, he would have been offered food and, and money even though it was scraps from the temple and now he's not even allowed in the temple. So he lost all his income, he lost all his food and he lost all his social status, but at least he had a sight. And the moment that Jesus comes into the picture, everything is taken from him in moments. Let me ask you, if you had a choice, which one would you choose? Would you want to see, even if it costs you your comfort today? Or would you want to continue in darkness with comforts that won't even last you through tomorrow? And I ask you this question because this is not a story about a man who was once blind and then could see. It's not just a story about how uh, light and darkness battle one another. This is a story about you. And this is a story about me. Because we are the blind man. If you are here tonight and you are a follower of Jesus, this story is a word for you to remind you what living in the light looks like. And if you are someone here who is not following Jesus, this story is an invitation for you to come in and step into, into the light. Either way, wherever you are in the story, the story begins with this. You are either in the light or you are in the dark. There is no middle ground. And the reason why many of us in the world are constantly searching for truth and its answers is not because there isn't an answer. It's because we cannot see it. You see, humanity as a whole is spiritually blind to the world around it. And until humanity is given sight, it will never be set free from its grasp. And so Jesus here with this blind man is playing out the story with the blind man that he intends to play out with humanity. You see, Jesus is God who would come down and get his hands literally dirty and dig into your blindness and clean us so that we could be set free to see the world as it is. And yes, Jesus does have to dig into your blindness because it's not like getting some morning gunk out of your eyes. There are layers and layers and layers of darkness and pain and suffering and trauma that cause the eyes of your hearts to be blind to Jesus. But here's the catch. Once you see, you can never unsee again. So how do you want to play it? Because this is what life in the light means. Every time that the man is questioned about his encounter with Jesus, what does he say? I was blind, Jesus came, and now I see. He doesn't provide a whole theological defense about the person of Jesus. He doesn't extrapolate how the promises of God in the Old Testament are being fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. All the man knows is that Jesus came to him in his broken condition and Jesus completely transformed his life. That's all he knew. And I don't want to make this too complicated for you, but this is the mission of God to give sight to the blind and to bind the wounds of his people. And some of y'all need to hear that tonight because that despite the difficulty of your situation tonight, Jesus has your life under his control. That even though the pain and suffering you are enduring right now seeks to blind you from the very face of God, Jesus says, I see you just like I saw the blind man. And if I can heal him, imagine what I can do with you. But living in the light is not all just rainbows and butterflies. It's not about healing and light. 
Because what happens when the man comes before the neighbors and the Pharisees? His neighbors literally cannot believe that Jesus healed him. And did you notice how they describe him? Is this not the man who was a beggar? They saw him transformed and all they, they can only refer to him by his past. They can never see him as a transformed person. And I say this to you tonight, whether you've just started following Jesus Christ or if you've been meeting with Jesus for a long time, if you will surround yourself with unbelievers who know your past, this is all they will be ever know you as. If you are an alcoholic, that is what they will call you. If you are a porn addict, that is what they will call you. If you are battling eating disorders, that is what they will call you. If you are prone to anger and rage, that is what they will remind you of. They will not be able to see you as a newly made creation in Jesus Christ because they are blind. And the enemy will use these people to try to convince you to come back into the darkness, that you are never to get good enough to be in the light, so you deserve to be in the darkness. But this is what 1 Peter 2.9 says this, God has brought you out of the darkness so that you would forever be in his marvelous light. But it's not just the people who know your past. It's this very culture. And this world that seeks to disavow the change Christ has caused in you. Look at how the Pharisees treated this man. This man didn't do anything. This man was begging on the streets just moments ago. He didn't even ask to be healed. He was just asking for some money. And yet the Pharisees see that this man is healed. And this is what they do in verse 18. They belittle him and call him a liar. In verse 22, they threaten him and his family. In verse 24, they call Jesus a sinner and by association calling him a sinner. Verse 28, they berate him with insults. And then verse 34, just like his neighbors, they cast him out because living in the light is not easy. I need to warn you of this. Being a Christian is not about popularity. It may cost you your every worldly comfort. Because disciples of Jesus will be ridiculed for Jesus' namesake. Disciples of Jesus will be reminded of their sins because the enemy seeks to lie to you. This culture will try to convince you that Jesus needs a societal update. And there are even Christians. It's not even just the world. There are going to be Christians who will try to sell you a vision of Christianity that is more tied to politics than to the kingdom of God. And guess what happens if you don't buy in? They will cast you out. And this is what I love about this story. Because regardless of the name calling, regardless of the threats, regardless of the amount of times this man has to repeat a story over and over again, what is the man's response? I once was blind. Jesus came and now I see. It's like he's a broken record, but he doesn't know what else to say because that's all he knows to be true now. It doesn't matter what it costs him. It doesn't matter how crazy it seems. He knows what's true. He knows that Jesus changed his whole life. And if he says anything other than that, that would be a lie. This man isn't willing to put everything on the lie for anything less than the truth. There is no middle ground with Jesus. We are either the blind man or we're the Pharisees. And the one thing in this story that I have a hard time trying to figure out was this. Why would God heal the blind man, but he did not heal the Pharisees? They both needed healing and they both needed saving. 
What was it about the blind man that was not true of the Pharisees? You see, what makes the story so powerful was that the blind man knew that he had nothing. The blind man knew that he could not see. He knew how desperate his condition was. Just think about how crazy this healing was for a second, right? He probably hears, like he's begging for food, and he hears in the distance someone just... Right? Just close your eyes for a second. Just let's, let's just do this here. Sir, anyone out there, can I have some food, please? <laughs> and then he feels wet stuff on his eyes. Right? Like, that's crazy. Let's open our eyes again. Like, it's fine. I don't, I don't want to be too immersive. He didn't see it coming. That was funny. And then get this, get this, get this, get this, get this, get this. Jesus sends this man to a pool that is potentially miles away. The man is blind. Like, do you get that? He didn't have Google Maps to be like, all right, in 300 feet, make a right. <laughs> this man got blood, this guy got blood. This man has mud on his face. Look, like how ridiculous he looks going through the streets trying to find this pool. And yet, he does it. What would make this man cause him to obey the voice of Jesus? Only desperate people can see their need. That's the whole point of this story. That only through the light of Jesus can we see how much we are in need. If you were to, to, to find someone on the street bleeding out on the ground, you don't need to convince them that they need to go to the hospital. That person knows they're suffering. If you, you don't have to convince people who are hurting to get help. But the blind man is the only one that could see his condition because the Pharisees thought they needed no help. They thought they had everything that they needed to save themselves, that they have everything they need. And if I have everything, I don't need some man named Jesus spitting on the ground and rubbing mud in my face. And when they are face to face, these Pharisees, when they're met face to face with the story of Jesus healing the blind man, they only have one of two choices. Admit they need Jesus or continue to try and save themselves. Which one are you tonight? Because when the light of Christ shines on your life, on my life, it shows how desperately vulnerable you and I are, how wounded and scared we are. What might even be more intimidating is that God will reveal to us what we've been refusing to see for ourselves. What would Jesus see if he were to look into your heart tonight? This is why we hide. This is why we hide our sexuality, our anxieties, our worries, our everything. We only try and operate out of our strengths, praying that no one sees our weaknesses. And to be honest, I hide too. And I wish it weren't true, but I care way more about what people think about me than I should. Like just this week, 
I was teaching at our church-wide Bible study, and even as I say that, I worry that you'll think I'm pompous for sharing that detail. But due to some unforeseen circumstances, I was struggling to find the time to prep for that teaching and for this teaching tonight, and I was stressing hard, so I went to Jesus. And I was like, Jesus, listen, man, like, I know, you know my situation. I procrastinated, you know, (laughs) and I'm kind of in a pickle, and I need you to, like, like, Take this and put it in all this. Like, I just need you to download it into me. And it seems silly and it seems dramatic because I was begging him to help me in my weakness, but it's real to me because here's the narrative that was playing in my head the whole time. I couldn't help but shake the feeling that if I don't teach well, people won't want me. That if I don't perform, I would matter less. And so I go to Jesus to help me do well, not for his glory, but for mine. And then I'm writing and writing. I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm not even lying to you on Tuesday night, right up to the point that I'm about to teach, I'm writing out this teaching. And let me tell you, I thought I bombed it. And so after 45 minutes, I'm done. I'm sweating profusely because that's what I do when I'm nervous. And then the unimaginable happens. Person after person comes up to me and they start telling me how amazing of a teacher I am. And like literally one after the other, they're starting to like, see, that, that's some of the best teaching I've ever heard. I took so many notes. And then I'm like, oh yeah, praise God. You know, like it's all him. And inside I'm like, that's all me. That's all me. I did this. I was beaming, let me tell you. And after the few minutes of praise, I go up to my wife, Rachel, and I say, babe, did you see that? People came up to me. And without skipping a beat, she hits me with this. She goes, Caesar, what would you have done if not a single person came up to you and told you that you did a good job? That's all she said. And I knew the answer. See, because God began to shine the light on my heart in that moment, and all I could see was this desperate little boy in my heart dying to be seen and accepted. And I was so tempted to hide in that moment, both from Rachel and from God and from myself, to be like, man, nothing's gonna rain on this parade. I did good. And I'm so glad I didn't listen to that temptation. Instead, in desperation, I asked God, God, I need you to show me the truth. And this is what God said to me. You, Caesar, are my son. And with you, I am well pleased. You have nothing to prove to me. This is what it means to live in the light. To know that in your brokenness, Jesus has come to you. To know that once you were lost, but now you are found. And guess what? You did not find yourself. I'm sorry. That's what books may tell you. You just need to discover the true you. You are hiding even from yourself. And Jesus has found you hiding. And Jesus even sees you right now where you sit, even if you seek to hide from him in this room. We are just like the blind man. In our suffering, Jesus comes. In our desperation, Jesus saves. And in our mourning and grief, Jesus comforts. But he will not do it until you surrender it to him. Because Jesus cannot heal who you pretend to be. Jesus is a real doctor for real brokenness. So take your real suffering to Jesus. 
Take your real wounds and show it to him. Expose your broken bones because the world cannot answer for your suffering and religion cannot heal. And as you seek to follow Jesus, though, this is the warning I have to tell you. The darkness will come for you. It will hound you and call you by name because it wants you back where it had you. But remember, once you see, you cannot unsee, right? So the blind man, no matter what was thrown at him, could not unsee the world that Jesus had just revealed to him. You see, the darkness cannot bring you back unless you go with it. You can pretend that you're not in the light, but if you're in the darkness, it's because you chose to go back. It cannot force you. So may I ask you, why would you go back to the darkness? You see, we know the world that we live in, the patterns that we adopt, the things that we do. We know it makes us sick that these patterns of life are killing us and yet we either go back to it or we try to hold on to it and to Jesus a little bit. A little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this. Like, please tell me, does scrolling through Instagram all day make you feel less lonely? Does matching with someone on Tinder make you feel finally wanted? Does working endless hours at your job at the cost of rest and connection make you feel validated? I'm pretty sure the answer to all of these are yes, but for how long? It won't last forever. So my invitation to you tonight is this step into the, night, into the light and let yourself be seen. But I don't wanna finish just there. But the remaining time that I have, because darkness is real, but because Jesus is too, I wanna to leave you with some tools to combat the schemes of the enemy. I wanna give you two tools that I would think and I believe and in my own life I've seen be helpful to me to allow me to live in the beauty of God's light. The very first tool I wanna to offer you is confession. This is the spiritual practice that teaches our hearts and reminds our souls that we are always in a state of need. Like that song says, Lord, I come, I confess. And the rest of the song is being like, I just, I need you. You see, we do not graduate from the school of Jesus. We just forever advance in the understanding of how much we need Jesus. So this is, this is not what confession looks like. I'm gonna just give you an example. Confession doesn't look like this. Hey, Jesus, I messed up today. Please don't be mad at me. I promise I won't do it again. That's not confession. That's bargaining. And that's still you hiding. It's not, hey, sorry, God, for spending too much money at Starbucks on that dragon fruit refresher. I'll do better. Maybe I'll try to, no. Be authentic and be real and be honest because God does not heal fake wounds, only the ones that you show. But confession can look something like this. Jesus, I'm hurting. I've chosen to hide my wounds through my sins. Please heal me of my wounds. Help me want you more than I want my sin. Be specific and honest. God heals real wounds, not fake ones. And the second and last one is tied to the first. It's community. You see, confession is amazing and it helps develop your relationship with Jesus. But you know what I've come to realize? I am really good at hiding from myself. 
but I can't hide from everybody. Some of my best friends, Obi and Caleb, they hit me up all the time. I was funny. I, I'm the, I, this is the kind of person that I am. I'm the kind of guy. I love preaching, right? And so then, he, so then Obi, I'm complaining to Obi. I was like, man, I'm just teaching too much. Like, I don't get it. Like, I, I'm just stressed. And Obi's like, you know what's funny, Caesar? You complain when you can't teach, but you complain when you do have to teach. Which one is it? And then in Obi fashion, he goes, <laughs> he comes back. You know I love you, though. And I was like, if there were any cameras here, I'd punch you around your face. Like, I need this job. <laughs> but it's true. I don't even catch how I indulge my sin, how I indulge my bad behavior, how I indulge myself in the stupidity of who I am. And I'm so thankful for guys like Caleb and Obi who can call me out on my stuff. And you, too, can have this. Here at Mosaic, we have discipleship groups. We have community groups here. Like we want to get to know you. We want to provide you people that can help you fight your sin and move into deeper and more beautiful relationship with Jesus. But I love more than anything about biblical community is this, is that the enemy seeks to lie, but my friends and my family tell me the truth of God so that I can stay rooted in Jesus for all my days. And this is what I love more than anything. This is actually how John ends. We didn't get to the end, but this is what happens. He gets cast out of the temple. And Jesus heard this in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Why do I find this to be the most beautiful thing? It's because of this. Do you see what verse 35 says? Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And who did the finding again? Jesus. When the man was blind, Jesus found him. And even when the man had sight, Jesus found him. It does not matter, family. Let me tell you this. It does not matter what the world can offer you. It will never go searching for you. It doesn't matter how much you mess up, you can come back to God. It doesn't matter how tempted you are by your darkness. I can promise you living in the light is the most freeing and wonderful thing. And I love here, here's what it says. It says that he worshiped him. It's not like he pulled out a Hillsong song and raised his hands. No, what the Greek says is this, is the man got on his knees and he fell on his face and said, I... I once was found, lost, and you came, and now I see, and now I believe. This is not the story about a man who was blind and now can see. This is your story. This is my story. And if this, you are here tonight and you are not a follower of Jesus, this too can be your story. So we're gonna follow suit with the blind man. Tonight as a community, we're going to respond in musical worship. 
And we're actually gonna have prayer in the back because I'm confident God is speaking to some of you. And I'm confident that singing this song will be your way of hiding. Don't do it. Go seek him. Go find prayer and bear your wounds to him tonight. I invite the band to come up and I'll pray as we begin. Lord Jesus, the one who sees all and is afraid of nothing, the one who sees all and has not rejected me, the one who sees all and yet invites me day after day, night after night to his table, the one who welcomes me home even when I've rejected you. To you we pray, Heavenly Father. Your mission has always been to cause the blind to see, to bind the wounds. God, I pray for these young adults. I even pray for myself. Reveal to us the things that are killing our souls. Would you give us the strength and courage and boldness to even come to you and reveal to you the things that we're afraid to look at. We're not even just afraid that people will see. We're afraid to look at it. Would you help us come to you? Remind us that we have been called to be set free. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You've declared that and the spirit is here. So would your spirit of freedom hover in this place tonight? Break the strongholds of darkness in our community. Break the chains of sin and perversion in our hearts and minds. Would you allow us to come to you, Heavenly Father, unashamed, with courage, knowing that we will not be rejected and cast aside. This world may do it, our family may do it, our friends may do it, but you have never set us aside and said you've promised us that you would be with us until the end of time. God, I pray that we would not hide through the song, singing tonight but that we would return to you the worship that you deserve. That we would not sing these songs with empty emotions, but that we would posture our hearts, even our bodies before you and say, Lord, I believe. And finally, Heavenly Father, would you remind our hearts today that we once were lost and you came And you found us. We love you. And we need you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults Podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.